Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome to episode 28 of the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Thank you for joining us on this day, July 10th, 2021. I hope your July 4th festivities were as planned and were fun, but uh, but also safe. I know it's a little bit less fun without fireworks, but I guess that's uh, that's the world we're living in now, so it's too bad. We are continuing our 10-part series where we interview movers and shakers in Portland and Oregon. We started off with the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, and then we were joined by City Commissioner Mingus Maps, Multnomah County Health Officer Dr. Jennifer Vines, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, and now State Rep of District 51. One state representative, Janelle Bynum. Bynum has been in office since 2017, and her district includes parts of East Portland, Damascus, Damascus, Oregon, that is, of course, Gresham, Boring, North Clackamas, and Happy Valley. Naturally, we had some questions for Rep. Bynum. Here is that interview. Let's start with this. So you are the representative of District 51, and for Portlanders like myself, yes, you include some of Portland, but I want to know about what is the district what is the district like that doesn't include portland like what's happy valley and damascus all about wow so i think i have the most diverse district in the state some would argue but um it surely is the best (laughs) what it's like outside of portland um even the portland parts are actually different just to be clear so there's some very um, high income parts and some um uh, working family marginal parts The other parts, including like Damascus, are uh, very conservative. Um, They want to be kind of left alone, um, fairly distrustful of government. Um, And then we have Gresham. We have pieces um, out. uh, We include um, the Persimmon Golf Course. So have a lot of families over there. And then in Boring, it's just kind of rolling hills, uh, very quiet. Again, people don't really like to be bothered a lot, but they certainly will make their voices known when they think I've gone in the wrong direction. Um, Let's start with probably one of the more high profile things that uh, was brought up when you were canvassing, when you were racially profiled and and members of your family have been racially profiled. How do those instances, we won't dwell on them too, too long, but how do those instances, uh, inform your job and, and change, change your job? Like, are you thinking about those every day? I think about them in my daily life in terms of, um, you know, what I allow my children to do. Uh, my son just started driving and every time, you know, he says he's going out with friends, you know, I ask him, are you going to make good decisions? Um, how many people are you going with? I need their first name, last name. And I think on the surface, they, they sound like questions maybe any mother would ask. Um, but deep down inside, you know, I, I wonder if I'm doing enough to protect him, um, even and, and allowing him to make the mistakes that normal teenagers make. So I have four kids, um, a girl, boy, girl, boy, 19, 17, 12, and 10. So we think about them just like in our daily lives, those incidents that happen to us haven't, you know, gone away. The, the threat of them hasn't gone down any, is what I would say. 
whenever people, uh, women have talked about being in the workplace, a lot of times, almost every single woman has a time or several times in their career where they're like, you would not talk to me that way if I was, if I was a guy, <laughs> if I was, if I was a dude, you know, it's amazing. Every single person has a couple stories of that. I know my mom does, you know, do you have stories of being, let's just say in Salem and maybe, maybe they, maybe the other party doesn't see it as like a microaggression, but you're thinking in your head, okay, my colleagues, you know, I might work with them, but they would not talk to me the same way if I was white or, you know, or different race or ethnicity or, um, or gender. Well, I think what you're getting at is this concept of being an outsider. And um, I wouldn't necessarily attach it directly to like my race or gender. I just think sometimes people are skeptical of other people and somewhat disrespectful. And I've, I've had one incident that I remember the most was when um, someone told me if I didn't want to be a Democrat, I should leave the party. And, and it was really, you know, that was really hard for me because while I consider myself, I mean, I first registered to vote in 1992 at Florida A&M University. I've had my Democrat card all my life, all my voting life. And I um, hold some values near and dear. And um, just because I don't, you know, believe everything that you believe as a Democrat doesn't mean that I'm not um, true, you know. And so I think the, the person saying that to me was pretty bold. And I'm not sure that they would have said that um, to anyone else but me. <laughs> Yeah. And, and this was a person that, that worked with you in Salem. This was like a representative or an elected official. This, 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 was, this was a colleague. And I think, I guess the, the finer point to make on that is that I'm a Democrat who's a business owner and I'm a black woman. And all of those things um, combined can make people pretty skeptical of me. I have some conservative beliefs, especially with respect to finances, um, but I'm pretty progressive on social justice issues. But if I, you know, if I step too far out of line of what they think perhaps a black woman or a Democrat should be, then, you know, I was told to go elsewhere. And that was, that was pretty hurtful. That's probably the most hurtful thing anyone has said to me. Let's talk about, you mentioned the criminal justice work that you've been doing, and we'll get into mm -hmm. that, but let's start with this. Obviously, you know, we touched on when you were racially profiled while canvassing, had the cops called on you. And I, I want to know as like, take me behind the curtain as a representative. Do you see your job? You know that you can pass five bills and it mm -hmm. still won't, it might it might decrease the amount of people who, you know, make the call uh, mm -hmm. on, on a black person or a person of color, but mm -hmm. you know that they're not, not making that call because something has changed in their mind where they don't see those people as threats anymore. Do you see your job as like, oh, my duty is to reduce like inherent racism or is you're like, mm -hmm. no, my duty is just to keep uh, black people, people of color safer. So it's twofold, really. So I'm, you know, like I said, on a daily basis, concerned about the safety of myself and my family. And that part is real. The other part I think is, is really important is to start the conversation. And let's just be honest about what, what racism means to me. 
and how when I or my family or my community members experience it, experience it, how that really actually shortens or, or lessens your experience in life. The other people who are benefiting from it or perpetuating it, like you're losing a lot too, um, because it means that I can't be my best. Whatever the system is that other people, not black people or brown people invented, whatever system you all invented, like we should probably stop that today. That's kind of where I'm going with it. Continuing on with criminal justice reform and law enforcement accountability, um, I read today or this week, I didn't really mm-hmm. understand this before, but I read that Org- that Portland is one of the only of like the 75 largest uh, law enforcement municipalities. Portland mm-hmm. is like the only one that doesn't have body body cameras, doesn't require mm. officers to have body mm. cameras. I want I want to know your opinion on this. Mm. Well, I think it's important to have different vantage points. Um, the the body cameras, as I've been told by colleagues in law enforcement, actually help um, management keep you know their officers more honest. Um, But I also know that there's another side to the story where, you know, black people are still getting killed, even with the body cameras. Right. And to be able to view that is traumatic. And I've been asked, you know, to view um, potentially, you know, what people describe as traumatic scenes of people being arrested and things like that. I haven't watched the George Floyd video. I won't watch those videos. I can't. And so sometimes I think we cheapen the value of human life by um, by watching those and, and becoming numb to it. I want to know, do you ever feel like, obviously, it should be known, you are working on a lot of things that aren't only only contained to uh, the improvements of lives for black people, black people mm-hmm. and people of color. But I want to know, do you ever feel like the token person who's like talking about this issue? Uh-huh. And of course, you have colleagues who are people of color, but you are in a minority, a very significant mm. minority <laughs> um, as you know, in Salem. Do you ever feel like, well, maybe, you know, people that don't look like me need to be proposing these bills occasion a little bit more? That's a really interesting question. The way I, the the viewpoint that I bring to um, my conduct and my um, demeanor as a lawmaker is like, everybody's welcome at Bynum's parties. So those 23 bills that we have, not all of them are mine. And I've started, um, whenever something looked like it, like had something to do with policing or community safety, I added them to the list. And then we brought on more people to carry these bills. So like Representative Graber has one on CPR and training and what to do when people are being arrested, but we have to make sure that their airways are clear so that they can breathe. Like that's such a beautiful bill. And it was proposed by, I think the mayor of Tigard. So for me, it's everybody's welcome at this party. Everybody can have a great idea on increasing community safety and, um, And like I said before, black and brown people did not invent racism. So it is not our responsibility to fix it all. Um, We should share our experiences. We should advocate for relief, but it it is not my responsibility, not at all. It's my colleagues' responsibility because they benefit from it. We don't. Tell me a story of a really good day for you over the past year. 
You know, I have a bill, the Crown Act, it's House Bill 2935. And we've had both the House uh, committee hearing on it and the Senate committee hearing on it. And um, to hear women coming forth, telling stories about their hair, like, you know, just to be clear, that bill allows people to have like not be forced to change their hair, correct? Yeah. So that bill um, talks about just being able to wear your hair in the black women, essentially, and, and black children and black men, actually being able to wear our natural hair in the workplace um, and um, in schools and with respect to school athletics. So we've heard about kids right. you know, cutting their braids or their um, locks. So um, a really, really powerful bill that is finding its way around the country. So being able to hear women um, and, and Oregonians tell their stories about how um, their hair has impacted their ability to work, the types of jobs that they seek, and to be able to have freedom from that um, was such a wonderful, wonderful day uh, for me, those, those two hearings. And I mean, of course I care that, that the bill passes, but I've, I've never felt so proud and so seen um, in all my life. Did, so. that, did that bill come from personal experience where you have been forced to, or at least asked yeah. to, to change things? Yeah, so my daughters um, both went to camp and this one particular camp didn't allow braids. And really? all little brown girls, mm-hmm, they didn't allow braids or cornrows because they said that they couldn't do the proper lice check. And as African-Americans, the way our hair is and, and how we treat it um, with oils and, and creams like that, um, we don't typically get lice. So, you know, I've been to camp a million times. They never had that problem. So we were forced um, to go to a doctor or a nurse a day ahead of time, a medical practitioner ahead of time to get a lice check. And then I had to pay for that, schedule that time, and then bring that note with my children to camp. But because they were the only Black kids there, we were the only ones subjected to that. That's not okay. Right. So then when you are now in this position, are you like going back? Like, how does this bill come about? Do you like... Does it come to you and you're like, oh, that's actually really interesting because of this moment that happened to my child, you know, a little while ago, or, or is it the other way around where you're like, okay, my child and other children that look like my child shouldn't have to deal with this. Let's start this bill now. So I had some, I think it was a uh, university of Oregon students bring me the bill um, because it was coming out. Of, it was first introduced in California um, and I think went to New York. And uh, we brought the bill about a year and a half ago. We passed it uh, all the way through the Senate, um, but the walkout, you know, shut things down. And so we lost the bill. So this time we brought it back. And uh, the, the, the greatest thing about it this time was, you know, time passes and you get a little smarter, you get a little better. And so we added the student athlete portion to it. Right and added um, the ability for young uh, women, young Muslim women who cover and maybe other religions who, who cover their head to have those considerations taken into account at our OSAA or Oregon Student Activities Association. And did I read it right that that passed unanimously? I Yes, it did. It was 57 or 58 to zero um, out of the cool. house. Yeah. 
that, oh gosh. Yeah. That's like goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bipartisanship, it seems like every single year, everyone says it's getting worse and worse. Um, before you, you haven't been in office for 40 years. It's like year four, right? It's year four, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So five, year five, year five, maybe. Year five. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, so has your respect or opinion of people on the other side of the aisle, obviously you're a Democrat, has that increased yeah. or decreased, uh, since you've gotten in office? I think I come to this job with a fundamental respect for all people, regardless of how they feel about any particular issue. Um, I, you know, I'm a a deeply spiritual woman, um, was born into a Christian family. And so I believe in meeting people where they are. And that allows me to work with just about anyone. So that's, and I think that has led to a lot of my success. Well, um, that that's my questions. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we uh, head out? Oh, man, I, I do want to give a shout out for um, the NAP ministry. Um, there's a lady online and, and that's her like Twitter feed, the NAP ministry. She calls herself the NAP bishop. And I, I really just want to communicate that even though we've been through this pandemic and we're, we're still in it. Like the body needs rest and we need to find joy. And, you know, all of this hustle and bustle, I think sometimes nature gives us, it gives us a reason to stop and pause. And, um, and I just really want to encourage people to, to rest. Like our, our society, I think was moving too fast. We weren't enjoying life enough. We weren't enjoying our families enough. And um, that's what I want to leave people with, like experience some joy. I'm a big napper. Are you? Are you? you? I am. I'm. I. I, Yeah. No. I I have a college student that is teaching me about napping. My 19-year-old. She's like, Mom. I'll talk to you a little later. She went to spend with her dad. Always trying to keep my balance, but my surface gets thinner. What used to be a bridge is now the width of a razor. The ones who care about me watch my face get. Their eyes get more concerned while mine get dimmer Started out having fun, just another way to play Now I'm falling headfirst into unforgiving ways What can I say? Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Dive Podcast. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. Thank you. I can't thank you guys enough, really. I, it means so much to me that you guys come back, and our audience is growing every single week, so I really appreciate you. And make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or whatever you, uh, however you get your podcasts. Uh, just make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure to turn those notifications on so you get notified when a new episode comes out. And come back on Wednesdays to listen to our Distant Voices episode. I know we missed two weeks ago, but hey, it was hot out. We had a lot of news to cover, so you can't really blame us too much, hopefully. Um, but also, you know, stay engaged. Email us. I know some of you already have with, uh, with ideas on people you want to hear from, uh, topics you want us to cover, and we'll do that, right? So we'll, we're, we're here for you guys. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Wednesday. And then Saturday, we've got another great special guest for you. But until then, stay safe. Make sure to, uh, to subscribe and put on those notifications. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. Have a great rest of your week.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast (laughs) 